Post-production for this episode of Fruit Bowl is sponsored by Spaces, the new chat-based app for queer people to connect over all the things they're passionate about. And now, for a limited time, you can invest in Spaces for as little as $100 via a WeFunder campaign. Help support this much-needed, safe, digital platform for the LGBTQ community. Look for Spaces in the App Store and learn more about how you can invest by visiting QueerSpaces.com. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. In this episode, you will meet Stephen, an art photographer who lives here in Seattle. Stephen has some amazing stories to share, including his early years being raised in Tucson by a hippie single mom. Stephen's early education in sex came courtesy of Judy Bloom's books for young adults, as well as her more racy adult novels. His first date was with a guy who insisted on reciting every piece of dialogue while watching The Wizard of Oz, and you just can't get more gay than that. But before we get to Steven, just a few updates. Thanks to Orlando for becoming our newest patron. That brings us to 47 patrons who together provide $307 each month to help pay for website maintenance, transcription services, and promotional efforts. Learn more about how you can support Fruitbowl at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate. This last week in the Fruit Bowl After Dark space, in the Spaces app, we got to talking about sexually transmitted infections and the shame that usually comes along with them. One member also asked about sex clubs and bathhouses and the unspoken etiquette that they sometimes require, as well as lists of our favorite club locations around the world. My personal fave is Flex in Los Angeles. Download Spaces and come join the conversation in any one of the four Fruit Bowl-sponsored spaces. Thanks to Ryan Whedon, the sound mixer for this episode. I first interviewed Stephen in December of 2019. And just a heads up, Stephen's original interview does briefly refer to a suicide attempt in his young adult years. Right after his original interview, the editor for this episode, Bailey, chats with Stephen about some big, you might even say huge, life developments that he has had in the last three years. Okay, that's enough from me. Now, here's Stephen. The older I get, the more millennials I get hitting on me for my daddy services. And I give really good daddy. I am super nice. I will slap your face if you need it and tell you what a bad little faggot you are and then cuddle you after I come all over your face. (laughs) Like, I've got the wide range of daddy services for you. This is Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. 
My name is Steven. I am 50 years old and I graduated high school in 1987. This episode was recorded in November of 2019 in Seattle. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Tucson is liberal as far as the state of Arizona goes, but uh, my experience growing up was getting my ass kicked by a bunch of rednecks on a regular basis. So I'd say it was fairly conservative, especially growing up gay in the 80s. I grew up an only child uh, with my mom and whatever boyfriend she had. She was pretty liberal. I called her a hippie redneck because she smoked a lot of pot and we grew it in our backyard. But you know, she's also a little reactionary politically. So my parents got divorced when I was three and around 10, my dad remarried and first he moved to Houston. And then uh, a couple years later, they relocated to Ventura and Ojai in California. I'd spend my school year in Tucson and then I would escape the heat to California as a teenager and it was like the coolest thing ever. I got to listen to Prince and Grace Jones and like hang out on the beach with all these cool new romantic homo teenagers around and then I'd have to go back to my shit kicking town where no one understood my new haircut or my new clothes. <laughs> it wasn't obvious to me growing up, but my Aunt Helen is a total lesbian. And she lived with the same woman for decades. And you know that thing where adults can see the little homo in you before you know who you are? Aunt Helen totally knew I was the gay one in the family. So she would give me extra money at Christmas and try to support me that way. And then later when I was an adult, that's when I figured it out, Aunt Helen was gay. Then when I told my dad that I was gay around age 20, he confessed to experimenting in college. So I'm gonna say it goes back multiple generations. <laughs> I don't remember ever having a talk about sex with my mom. My dad tried when I was 12 and I was so embarrassed because he was such a goofball that I was like, I just cut him off. I basically learned the facts around sex from uh, reading on my own. And then we did have sex education in school and it was very scientific and dry, but yeah, I learned that way too. I was probably sixth grade. So it was boys on one side and girls on the other. And there I was surrounded by all these hot peers. <laughs> hot sixth graders. Don't feel that way now, but you know. It was film strips of cartoons of bisected humans with erections growing erect and going into the vagina and then little animated sperm. And yeah, very not sexy. Still titillating, though. I knew I was gay when I was 12. I had been in the locker room in junior high, and I 
had a staring problem and I was staring at one of my classmates too long and he caught me and he called me a little faggot and he spit on me and basically from that point on I was ostracized in school. I remember coming home that day and reflecting on what it was I was masturbating about and it was other guys and I had a real meltdown and I remember laying on the bed and crying and praying to God to make me straight. And I realized that it wasn't going to happen and that I was going to have to live with this secret for the rest of my life. Whew. So the idea of talking to my parents about this was never going to happen. I just didn't want to be revealed that way because I'm a terrible liar. So I lived with it as a secret until I was 17 and then I finally admitted it to a girlfriend and then I told one other girlfriend which led her to say you need to meet my friend Eric who is gay and had lived in Hollywood and he seemed very international <laughs> with his super gay clothes and I met him and that's who I ended up losing my virginity to two days later. I was introduced to the idea of gay sex through reading Penthouse magazine. My grandfather had gifted the family all of his old Penthouse magazines. And there was a monthly column called Call Me Madam. And readers would write in with their sexual issues. And almost every column had one letter from a guy who had met some hot older lady and she wanted to have sex, but first I want to watch you suck off the pool boy sort of thing. And those got me so excited and I learned a ton from them. So much so that when I finally had sex for the first time, which was later that same year and I was 17, the guy accused me of not being a virgin. I was like, why? Because I knew too much. I was like, I just know all of this because I read it in a magazine. Reading those columns, I got to see that men could suck each other's dicks and enjoy it. Even though they might be conflicted about it, they still got hard and went back for more. I learned how to masturbate from reading a Judy Bloom book, of all things. So I'd grown up on reading Judy Bloom young adult novels, like Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I knew way more about menstruation than most of the girls in my class. But then Judy Bloom wrote an adult novel called Wifey. And I don't remember how I got my hands on it, but I did, and in that story there's some woman who has an extramarital affair with basically a bear. And I didn't know how to masturbate, but I was so excited that I taught myself. And when I finally came for the first time, you know, it was that thing when no one teaches you, like, oh my god, I'm gonna pee all over the bed sort of thing. But I didn't. And once I discovered it, I was hooked. <laughs> and I would masturbate eight to 12 times a day. Holy cow. <laughs> so yeah, 
I learned it on my own, partially because of this book, Wifey. And now that I think about it, Judy Bloom wrote another book called Forever. And I'm pretty sure in that book, it's a teenage love story. And the girl gives the boy a hand job. So that's probably where I learned about masturbating. Oh, my first crush was my mom's boyfriend's younger brother, Mike, who came to stay with us one summer after getting in trouble in San Diego. And he was 13 and big beefy jock boy, and I was hooked. I thought about him for years. So Mike came to stay with us, and I was this little skinny, gay boy and a total nerd and a book reader and I didn't hang out with kids because they were dumb. <laughs> um, and here comes this big jock, muscly jock, and I didn't know what to think of him. He seemed like an alien to me. But then we all had to go camping and he and I shared a tent. And it was when he sort of brought it around to us comparing our dick sizes and... Uh, he could do this thing where he could get his dick to flop from one side to the other. And I was like, whoa, that's impressive. Because, you know, I had an 11-year-old's penis and it was not impressive at all. And he seemed like such a cool guy. I crushed out on him. I didn't even know what was happening, though. I'd never felt anything like this before. And I certainly couldn't talk about it because I didn't have any words for it. And I think I also knew it was not okay. I also think I was so gay that everyone could see it but me sort of thing. So yeah, it progressed to um, him making me get on my knees while he jacked off in my face. And I was 11 years old and I didn't know what was going on, but all I knew was I liked it a lot. I will say that all that play with me on my knees and him jacking off he would then make me run around naked in the backyard and he would lock the door and close the curtains and it took me years to figure out he was inside jacking off. He was not the only guy to hit on me. He was just the only guy I let myself fantasize about after he left that summer. Eventually his step-parents didn't want us to hang out anymore, thinking that I was a bad influence on him, which is hilarious. And I didn't see him again until I was 17. And by that point, I knew I was gay. And he was 19 and he was even beefier. We ended up taking some acid together when I was 17. And I had basically a religious experience of just all of this energy moving through my entire body. Eastern mystics would call it kundalini, and it was like a full body orgasm that lasted for 10 minutes. <laughs> and Mike was over in the corner going like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, dude, this is a good time. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> it was kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I totally tried to get it on with him and he was not having it. <laughs> so I had a girlfriend growing up who was my playmate and we did all those things kids do of playing doctor and we also 
would experiment. Oh my God, I'm not gonna go into full detail, but uh, let's say vacuums were involved. <laughs> so this whole notion of penis pumps, I learned it real early. And uh, he and I, it never got super serious, except for, you know, I would finger her and she would jack me off in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was a real tomboy, which is probably explains who I'm attracted to as far as women goes. And we would wrestle and I would let her win. So she'd be on top of me with my arm yanked back behind me and I would just be laughing and laughing because it was so much fun for me. Uh, now she's married to a big, bald biker who looks more than a little bit like I do. <laughs> the one time we tried to have sex, I was 16, and all I could do was think about boys. So that's when I knew I was pretty much gay. <laughs> So I had met this guy, Eric, at the food court in the Tucson Mall. Uh, he was introduced to me through my friend Beth. And I had been eating a chocolate-covered pretzel. And he asked if he could lick my fingers clean. And so right in the middle of this food court, this boy sucks every single finger clean of chocolate. And I was embarrassed, but also thought it was really hot. He said I should come over. So I came over to his house after school the next day and his mom was there and he was watching The Wizard of Oz because it turns out that was his favorite movie. So I sat there as he proceeded to speak the dialogue to every single character in the film. This was not a turn on. It just made me think he was super weird. And he kept trying to give me these rum balls, these chocolate rum balls. And I looked at him with the authority of a 17 year old and said, dude, you don't have to get me drunk to have sex with me. Like I am into it. And can we skip the movie and get to it? So uh, his mom went away and we went to his bedroom and I got to suck my first dick and vice versa. And he wanted me to fuck him. So we, I think we used condoms because AIDS was so prevalent. It had been around since I was 12 years old and I was terrified of it. And uh, I f fucked him. It just went in so easily that I didn't even think that I, he'd have to get used to it. There, no one told me anything. And so he basically pushed me out of him and was like, I have to ease into this, whatever. So we figured it out and I had such a good time having sex with him. I went home that day and he called me up the next day and I remember saying to him, so we're gonna be together forever now, right? Like you're my boyfriend, right? And he laughed a little bit and then he wouldn't talk to me again for months. And uh, when, he, um, when he resurfaced on the scene, he'd actually had himself committed for a few months, maybe because he was gay, I don't know. When he got out, all he would do is make fun of my lisp, and I was so hurt by the whole thing that I didn't have sex again for two more years. I was like, fuck being gay. If this is what gay dudes are like, I'd just rather not do anything. Whew. So then I was 19, 
and I became really close friends with somebody I had known in high school, Richard. And we would hang out and have fun, and he was a lot of fun. And one night, we took Xanax, and it released all my inhibitions, and I told him that I wanted to suck his dick, which was, I don't even know how I got the courage to do it, except I was high on drugs. And he was fine with it, and I fell in love with that man. He became my first boyfriend, in a way. Um, and he was a little uh, juvenile delinquent. He stole a bike so that I could have a bike and we could ride bikes together. He taught me how to spit so I could spit farther away from us while we're riding bikes. He taught me how to break into buildings and we would go into abandoned buildings um, and he and I would climb onto rooftops and he showed me how to fall off of a roof, the way to not get hurt. So we were these little troublemakers together and we never got caught and he would never want to touch me because he wasn't really gay. Uh, this is probably why I like bi dudes. Um, so I'd suck him off and then we would get girlfriends. We had twice, we got two girls that were best friends that would date both of us. And we would have these crazy four ways as 19 year olds. So we had one set of girlfriends and they got weirded out by it pretty quick. So we got another set of girlfriends and I remember one girl saying, I've never reached into my boyfriend's pants to find another guy's hand there before. Um, but it was hot and we all liked it. Eventually, Richard was uncomfortable with the situation. I know he cared about me, but he didn't know how to handle all of my emotions. So he just kind of disappeared. He went and followed the Grateful Dead for a while um, while I listened to The Cure. <laughs> And um, eventually he let another friend of mine have sex with him, another guy friend. And while I could handle the ladies when I knew that he was with another guy, I kinda half-assedly tried to kill myself. And because of that, I was like, this has gotta end. And that's when I left Tucson. I couldn't be around him or any of that anymore. So I moved across the country. When I was 19, I got a boyfriend and I was still living at home. And I remember one time my mom walked into my room while I was giving Richard a back rub, which is not something most teenage boys do for one another. And so she took one glance and turned around and closed the door. Um, I told her probably six months later that I was gay and she knew already. Um, she was okay with it. It took her a couple of years to come around, honestly. But when she did come around, she told me she would rather that I be gay and happy than pretending to be straight and miserable. Now she loves her gay son. Um, I told my dad I was gay also around that same time when I was 19, and he was super cool about it. Turns out he had kind of known since I was a kid anyways. It's a little weird, but uh, he wanted me to know how much he loved me and said, if you, if you get AIDS, you can always come home and die with us, which was fucking weird, but also 
so cool to know that my father loved me that much. I moved to Pennsylvania for a month and then I eventually ended up in New Orleans until I got mugged at gunpoint, at which point I moved to Seattle. Leaving Tucson showed me the world was much bigger than what I had experienced. Uh, growing up in a cow town, I'd never seen a large group of black people. I remember getting off the bus in Philadelphia and being surrounded by black folks and I was like, oh, I had no idea because Tucson is white and Mexican. But beyond that, moving to New Orleans, I got to see a wide range of people and what was possible which was basically anything is possible. You can be who you want to be. You don't have to be defined by your parents or your friend group from high school. All of that just kind of went right out the window. So I was 30 the first time I really fell in love where I was emotionally mature enough. When I was 30, I had just moved back from Bangkok after trying to have a boyfriend there, and it was a giant mistake. Uh, and I had sold all of my stuff and told everyone I was leaving town. And so I came back with my tail between my legs to Seattle. And I was hiding in a friend's basement apartment. After a month of this, I ended up going to a party at the Egyptian theater. And there was this really cute guy across the lobby and he was checking me out and I was checking him out and he came over and said hi and he was this super cute Filipino guy and we were chatting for a while and he's like, are you a rice queen? And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I think you're cute, how's that? So um, he came over and given my history of falling for men immediately, I was like, look, you are welcome to spend the night, but I don't want to have sex with you. If you want to hang out after that, then we can talk. And Mar was super cool about it. We cuddled all night and made out. And uh, basically, he became my boyfriend. And it took me months to believe that he could actually love me back. And thank God for therapists, because I had thought from all of my experience that I was just destined to be alone forever. Um, and the therapist pointed out why God probably didn't have a personal contract out on me to make sure I was miserable for life. And it, it was so funny to me that I even thought that was true. And so, uh, yeah, we were together for three years and uh, I learned a lot about love from him and how to not be so selfish, really. So there was this one time when I was in my early 30s when I hooked up with this guy in Bellevue and um, he was really hot and sexy and I was fucking him and out of nowhere I just told him that I loved him <laughs> and he got such a panicked look on his face. <laughs> like I was breaking some cardinal rule of gay sex, like, nude, we're not here for emotions. <laughs> and uh, I even like preempted it by saying like, I know I just met you and it maybe doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean, but 
I love you. So anyways, that was pretty embarrassing. He uh, never wanted to see me again. <laughs> Whew, life's lessons have been tricky for me. I love face fucking dudes. And my dick isn't huge, but it's real thick and it's a mouthful. Um, and uh, guys love it because I'm not choking them to death, but it still feels like they're accomplishing something. And I don't know, I've done lots of Pilates and yoga, so I can kind of... <laughs> In any case, I just get real dominant as I'm shoving my dick in their face while they are furiously masturbating and it is quite a turn on for both of us. Mm-hmm. Is that my best move? It's one of them. I'm also pretty good at fucking. I don't know. It sounds like I'm bragging, but really, I can go forever. After having a death grip on my dick masturbating for so long, I, it's hard for me to come without like crazy stimulation. So I just stay hard and can fuck forever, which is, you know, I've worn out some dude's stamina, but the ones who can take it, love it. So for me, I like to have a guy laid out with his head on the bed, and then I just kind of climb over him and I basically do a plank pose. I just fuck his face like crazy. Sometimes boys like having my belly smother them so they can hardly breathe and they're just surrounded by me. Other dudes not so into it. So I really like doing that. And then I also like to just basically straddle their chest and then slowly creep up until my knees are around their shoulders. Uh, and I'm just face fucking them that way with my face pressed against the wall and there's no escape for them. I mean, I do always say you can tap out. As soon as you tap out, I'll ease off. And you know, I also like the head over the side of the bed sort of thing and do what I like at all. Honestly, okay, is it my best move or is it my favorite move? I have these mirrors in my bedroom and I love getting a guy on all fours on the end of my bed where I'm fucking him and he can see me fucking him from both angles. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the older I get, the more millennials I get hitting on me for my daddy services. And I give really good daddy. I am super nice. I will slap your face if you need it and tell you what a bad little faggot you are and then cuddle you after I come all over your face. <laughs> like, I've got the wide range of daddy services for you. <laughs> I've got this chest, I'm covered in hair, hairy back gorilla sort of thing, and this beard, and the friendly Santa face. It's like stern yet nice, all in one package. Lately I have met more young men who want to be disciplined and it's kind of a lot of fun. Uh, I also can spontaneously come up with all sorts of stories and uh, sometimes sometimes it turns them on and 
a few weeks ago, I was fucking this dude's face and I looked down to him and we were playing some daddy boy thing and I was like, I can't wait until I tell your uncle how hot you are. And he had to pull my dick out of his mouth because he was laughing so hard. So, you know, incest doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> and it was all for fun anyways, right? I attract a lot of bi men, like a crazy amount of bi dudes want to experiment with me. And more than one has turned gay after having sex with me. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea why that is. I've got a long history of liking to have transgressive sex and pushing a man to confront his same-sex desires is really hot to me. So me being bisexual is such a pain in the ass because I'm attracted to incredibly butch or boyish women who typically are just straight up lesbians. So this is why I don't do anything about it. Um, Cause I doubt I'm the kind of guy that a lesbian's gonna go for. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like the hardest part about being gay is something that I also do, and that is to objectify other men. Sometimes I do feel like I'm just a daddy to people and they don't give a shit about who I am. Um, but I'm gonna say that I do the same thing to other men where they're just a hot man to me and I'm not necessarily interested in who they are other than this moment. Honestly, I feel like the most challenging part about being gay is that there are no rules. Because there are no rules, we have no guidelines to go on. We can mimic heteronormative behavior, but look how well that's worked for straight people. Monogamy isn't the most healthy way to go through life necessarily. And then there is this notion that, I mean, if there is no rules, then I can fuck anybody, really. And um, because of HIV and AIDS, I basically spent my 20s and 30s being terrified of sex. And it wasn't until I was in my mid 40s that I ever felt someone come inside of me. And that was a revelation to me and only possible because of prep, because of Truvada. And I got kind of angry actually when I thought about the fact that street people have been doing this the whole time without any of the shame around it that gay men are inundated with still to this day. And it is that shame that I think makes it really hard for men to be able to make lasting emotional connections with one another. And as someone who wears my heart on my sleeve, I feel like I've had to basically not hide my heart, but protect it a lot. I don't let my it's easier for me to play daddy than to actually show someone who I really am sometimes. And I'm not going to say it's all some facade, but uh, it isn't always, it's rarely an option where I get to show myself. And uh, when I meet those men that are willing, then I'm scared. <laughs>
Well, when I came out, when I was a young gay man, it was personals in the back of the Seattle Gay News or The Stranger. And that was how you would hook up. And now it's my phone finding men within a mile range of me that we find each other mutually attractive. I'm going to say what's changed in that process is it's actually better in a way, perhaps because I'm so adept at social media and conversing on a phone in my own authentic voice via text that I can suss out somebody's intent pretty quickly online. If they're only able to talk about sex and there feels like a, let's say there's a wall of meth in between us, I can quickly figure that out and sidestep that. Whereas before when it was letters written back and forth, that sucked, those days sucked. I remember one time I was in a bar in Holland in a dark room and I fucked somebody I never saw. He was just a body in front of me and uh, in, in the darkness. And I wore a condom and it was safe and everything. But I felt so grossed out by how disengaged that whole experience was. It didn't feel liberating at all. That I quit having sex for, with strangers for a year. So I don't like dark rooms. But over the years, as I've gotten more comfortable with holding my emotional self inside of me and realizing that this is, in a way, casual sex has become sort of play. I don't like calling it, what do they call it, sport sex? Sport fucking. <laughs> That I'm not into. Rarely do I want to have sex where there isn't some sort of a connection involved. Even if it's just lust, but the lust is based on like, you've got good style, you're handsome, I think we could be friends. All of those things are appealing to me. When those elements are involved, I, I have a good time. If it just comes down to hot, hot sex, Sometimes that's fine if all the ingredients are there. Basically, I'm into it. <laughs> I want there to be some sort of connection to make this sex have meaning for both of us. Sometimes I have a dude come over and all he wants to do is suck my dick. And it is fucking hot. Like, yeah, it is totally this exchange and it works. Because he's sucking my dick. If I'm gonna fuck somebody... I want there to be some sort of a connection. And the stronger the connection, the more intense and awesome it is for both of us. I'm gonna say what's changed for me recently is the ability to have fuck buddies. Oftentimes there's a 20 to 30 year age difference between me and my sexual partners. So there's an automatic understanding that there's probably not gonna be a relationship. I'm not trying to date anyone in their 20s. That doesn't mean we can't have a friendship that has sex at its center and is fun, those guys will also come to me and tell me about the romantic woes and I am happy to listen. I'm not jealous. I'm, I'm happy to be a voice of reason in a world of gayness where so many people don't give a shit about their partners. I turned 50 this year and when I was thinking about it, I'd been dreading it. All of my 49th year on the planet, I was like, fuck, I'm gonna be old. This is it. 
death of my sex life or whatever stupid shit that I told myself when I was 39 too. But I ran into a friend who lives in Portland who is 54 and he basically said, Steve, this is like, you can do whatever you want. There's, there's no reason you can't enjoy yourself because you've gone through, like you're beyond the pretty young thing part you can basically be who you want to be. And if dudes don't like it, fuck it. You don't care. And it's true. I don't really care. And somehow that little conversation changed everything for me. And I have never felt so sexually liberated in my life as I have this 50th year. And if I want to fuck a 21 year old who wants to have sex with me, then that's fine. I don't care what any fucking straight person thinks about how I'm, you know, an irresponsible adult. I'm not. Actually, I'm showing this man how to have hot sex that is negotiated and we talk about it and I'm like, follow that Boy Scout rule, leaving them in a better place than where we started. It's been such a revelation and I am so much happier for it. I can't even believe it. I had to make a little contract with myself that I wasn't going to date anyone this year because Lord knows I'm always wanting a boyfriend. And when I kind of set that aside so that I could pursue my more creative endeavors, it also helped. And uh, I have made some new friends because of it and had spank bank material for years <laughs> that will carry me through my geriatric years. <laughs> And now here's editor Bailey Becker with a follow-up interview they recorded with Stephen just a few weeks ago. Hi, my name's Bailey. It's nice to meet you. Hi, Bailey. Stephen here. Awesome. Um, so where are you speaking to us from today? Are you still living in Seattle? Yeah, I'm uh, in my bedroom in Pioneer Square. Uh, there's a Mariners game happening right outside. So uh, there's a million fans descending on the neighborhood and making a ton of noise. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, do you mind giving us a little like snapshot or summary of your life right now and like how it's different compared to when Dave spoke to you in November of 2019? Well, I mean, everything's different. Boy, my life completely flipped in December of 2019. I ended up in the hospital with an upset stomach and then found out I had stage four cancer just by sheer luck. Um, wow. So everything shifted from there. So fortunately I have a good support group in Seattle, but then just a couple months after that, I got laid off from my job. The coronavirus hit and then I lost my support system because we all had to isolate. Seattle was one of the hardest or most affected cities by this. So I kind of lost my mind. Uh, I was incredibly depressed and I, I'm a visual artist. And so I responded by going and taking photos of my friends through their windows as a way to see them and be able to talk to them on the cell phone even and look at them through the windows. Anyways, this basically form of art therapy that kept me 
from losing my mind uh, kind of blew up and uh, I was in publications around the world and on TV in Seattle. So, boy, that's a one way to put it. So uh, that's one thing that happened. But the truth is that getting this sort of a death sentence is a real harsh way to put it. Um, really lit this fire under my ass and let me know that that if I was going to make art, now is the time because I don't know how much time I have left. So I have been insanely prolific ever since then. That is a real intense intro question answer. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, here's another kind of intro, but also maybe a little bit intense question and you can dive in as deep or as little as you want. But I was just wondering, what has your intimate life been like now considering that we're dealing with COVID and monkeypox, but also that you're, I just learned that you have cancer or had cancer. Um, how has that affected all of that? Well, it's pretty much completely different than when I talked to Dave initially. Finding out I had cancer did a couple things. Well, first of all, I found out I had cancer. And then months later, I got COVID as well. And so I was just, I was going through it. And I'm not going to say I had a death wish, but I certainly didn't have a real zest for life because I was given a short lifespan. So anyways, after that, boy, I'm really going to just go out here on a limb and tell you that like, well, I had COVID. So I basically had sex with whoever I wanted that had already been exposed to COVID because I figured I was in this group of folks where can't get any worse than this. So that first year of COVID was pretty intense. And I will say that I kept looking to find myself a primary sex partner in this process so that I could feel safe and they could feel safe. But let me tell you, nobody was interested. And uh, so I just kind of relaxed into what I had before, which was a small group of men that I have sex with. And I felt reasonably comfortable with their choices. They weren't any different than mine. And to make a long story short, one of those guys that I met during that first year of COVID is now my boyfriend. We uh, met up and I kind of courted him a little and he wasn't interested in dating. And so I didn't press the issue at all, but I'd continue to see him every month or three. And uh, over time, it just, we became closer and more intimate with each other. And then finally, after Pride this year, I was like, look, I'm falling in love with you. Like I, you know, if you're going to bail like every other dude has, now's the time to do it. And he surprised me by saying he felt the same and asked me if I wanted to be his boyfriend. And uh, that was fucking sweet. Yay, that's wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> that was actually Thanks. my next question was if you are seeing anyone. Um, my last kind of like intro-ish question that I have was, what was it like for you um, listening to yourself from three years ago? It was a little sad, honestly, just listening to how I wear my heart on my sleeve and uh, how often it 
gets rejected and, you know, recognizing that I probably go way too hard, too fast for folks. And if I could just slow myself down, that I'd be in a better situation. And then lo and behold, that is what seemed to do the trick. It's funny to hear me describe the tales of my youth and what sticks. And, uh, you know, there's other stories that I didn't tell that were equally as weird or crazy. Lots of sex on drugs, let me tell you. <laughs> Speaking of like reflecting on your youth and kind of listening to that again, what was something that you wish you'd known when you were experimenting with sex for the first time? I wish I'd known that true love is hard to find. That even though I didn't grow up on Disney princess stories, you would have thought so from the way I acted with practically every gay man I met from, you know, 17 to 35. For the first time, I wish I'd known to not try to give my heart away so fast. Mm -hmm. So when talking, about this is in regards to something I remembered from the episode that I was editing um, when you talked about the first time you were like in love and um, for the first time in a mature way you mentioned you're with your boyfriend of the time for three years and that you learned a lot about love during that experience um, what specifically do you think you learned about love oh big question yeah I'm gonna say I learned how to relax and let myself be loved and then I remember listening to that answer and, and saying, I learned how to be less selfish. Uh, I was raised an only child and I didn't have to share with anybody. And that means I didn't have to share responsibilities with anybody either. So learning how to let myself be taken care of, how to care for someone and more than just loving gestures, but it's the showing up that matters. It's the being on time. It's the letting yourself be inconvenienced to make their day go from crappy to okay. Um, and uh, that boyfriend, Mar, was he was good about letting me know when I fucked up and then not holding it against me forever. So those were the things that were really valuable to me. So I feel like one of the kind of themes near the end of your episode was about connection. And um, how do you feel like your connection with sexual partners has changed if you, as you've gotten older? Well, I, I'm going to say that I've lightened up a little bit. I don't worry about every guy being a potential boyfriend. And thus, I'm able to just enjoy the moment without putting so much weight onto it. You know, I'd prefer it if we could get it on and if we have a good time hang out some more later but even that I'm I'm more comfortable with the whole situation as it unfolds I never know where I'm meeting someone if they're just horny for the moment or uh, they're looking for a stronger connection I guess what I'm trying to say is my connections with folks now have less to do with projection of things I might want from them or hope for in the future and more about this desire to be present with them in this moment. And then, you know, if we want to have some daddy boy play or whatever, that's fine by me. Projecting that way is par for the course, if you ask me. 
but getting ahead of myself has definitely been reined in. So this is kind of a similar question. So if you don't have anything to add, that's totally fine. But I was going to ask just to expand a little bit that you talked a lot about how a lot of gay men kind of don't do emotions. And I was just wondering how you've learned to navigate emotions and connections with partners. That's kind of a similar question, though. But if you have anything to add about like maybe connecting with or like learning to navigate men who don't really like to get emotional as like a more emotional person. Bailey, you got me. During that first year of the pandemic, I met somebody who I fell for, like I do. Um, but we had a truly deep personal connection. It was, there's a handful of folks that I meet along the way that I feel like, I'm not going to call them soulmates, but we definitely have some big, strong energy together where more synchronicities happen around us. There's like a psychic field around us that just makes it way more interesting. Uh, so anyways, I met one of these guys and he had a lot of family trauma and my papa bear came out and I just wanted to help him and he didn't want anything to do with me trying to help him. And then as simultaneously while I was with him, that's when I found out hanging out with him, I should say, um, that uh, I got some like bad cancer diagnosis and he just fucking disappeared. So your question is, how do I, how did I deal with it? Well, I was super angry for months <laughs> because I feel like real friendship is offered pretty infrequently, uh, especially in, I don't know if it's just Seattle or if it's all big cities, but we're all busy people and finding folks who are willing to step forward and be present is not a there's no guarantees in that. For one thing, I've started meditating every day as a way to just kind of let go of my attachments to things and as a way to look at what happened yesterday and understand it deeper. And all of this has basically allowed me to be centered with my own emotions and whatever state I'm in. And then I can accept or reject the emotions of the people that are around me and how they're coming at me or of avoiding me or ghosting me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <sighs> You're just hitting me with the heavy stuff. <laughs> Did I answer the question? Yeah, no, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, And then I kind of just was curious if you wanted to talk a little bit more about your current relationship now and how that's going. Um, At the end of the last episode that I heard, you were talking about how you were like, I'm not going to date. And so I was curious, like, why did you decide to kind of take a risk and dive into this relationship and how is it going? Right. I didn't want to date for my 50th year. And then the next year finding out I had cancer, I was kind of like flailing for any sort of a connection to basically be a life support line to keep me grounded. Cause let me tell you, being alone in a pandemic, when you find out you've got this life-threatening disease sucks. I learned a couple things. One is that even though I didn't have a boyfriend, that I had this amazing group of friends that were insanely valuable. They really were there for me in such a meaningful way. And yeah, I've got family and they care, 
but it's a different lived experience than being a gay man in a city, right? It's just different. So these friends kept me alive. By the time, you know, I had basically thought to myself, who's going to want to date me with this cancer diagnosis hanging over my head? I can't imagine anyone's going to want to get involved when it's just an unknown for how long I have to live. The man that I'm dating, Robbie, he started asking me to go on little road trips with him at the beginning of the year. And we'd go spend a weekend in a hotel in some tiny town in Washington. And we'd be in bed on Saturday at like nine o'clock because the whole town was closed. And we'd be watching TV like an old domestic couple. And I was like, this is the fucking shit right here. This is like, this is better than any club. This is perfect. We did these little road trips enough. And I'm going to say Robbie is somewhere on the spectrum. And so showing emotions isn't his strong suit, but he is pretty forthcoming if I just ask him questions directly. And so not being the most outwardly emotional, I just had to keep on checking in with him to see if he was really interested. And I'd, we'd be in the car and I'd ask him if I could put my hand on his leg and he's, he'd be like, yeah, that's fine. He basically over a year amount of time of us spending quality time together, he became comfortable in my presence. And I learned how to read his quietude, if that makes sense. And boy, I'm going into a long way to say that uh, a year of this, of getting to know each other, he kept on showing up, like he'd do what he said he was going to do. And I do that too. I, I show up. And uh, the mere fact that he kept showing up, and then I just couldn't even help myself one day and told him that I loved him. And I was like, putting caveats on it but like but you know like you know I love a lot of people right it's you know don't any he, he didn't freak out he just nodded and like cuddled into me more and then it probably took him a couple more months before he was comfortable telling me that he loved me back and it was it was kind of lovely so when he asked me if I wanted to be his boyfriend my first concern was my health stuff And I asked him how he was going to deal with it if I had health issues. And he said, look, we might not always be boyfriends, but I will always be there for you. And that was the answer I needed to hear. So we've only been dating for a few months now, but I fucking love this man so much. And in part, because I've known him for two years, I know who he is. I wish I'd done this every other time I've ever dated, which was to just take my time and get to know someone and not just let the butterflies take over and fall so hard so fast. Because when I've done it in the past, suddenly six months in, I'm dating somebody that I don't even know if I like that much. Just because I've like, oh, that the love hid the anger issues that they have, or Yeah, that's basically the biggest one. Or, oh, they can never make a decision. I have to make every decision in their relationship. None of this has come to pass. And, uh, oh, God, 
I think I've said enough there. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I'm very happy for you. That was kind of most of my questions that I had written down, but I was curious if you had anything else you wanted to share, especially after listening to the episode, if you felt like there was something that was missing that you felt you needed to get off your chest or just anything additional you wanted to share. I think the thing I just said about learning how to take my time and I feel like for folks that are romantic, it's really hard to just slow down. Uh, I don't know if you count yourself in that category, but it has bit me in the ass so many times. I feel like I could have had a boyfriend many times beforehand if I had just slowed down because I scared the crap out of people that I was interested in, or we rushed into something so fast that it should never have happened in the first place. And uh, I don't know how to tell anybody, like, how, how do you tell a romantic person to slow down? I guess the thing that really made a difference for me was learning how to meditate, which is, doesn't seem obvious. And I, I guess there's one other thing, the pandemic isolation did. It really taught me how to be cool with just hanging out with myself. Like there was that panic at the beginning and I had to go out there and see my friends through plate glass windows, anything to make some sort of a connection. But then when I took it back and came back into my home, I learned how to just be okay with myself. That feels really important. Social media will convince you that you're missing every fucking fun thing out there and that all the cool kids are doing all the great things and I'm not getting invited to it. But truth is, I make my own parties now and I have a good time doing the little things that I do. And uh, having a rich interior life is such an amazing gift. I was just curious, how is your health doing now and how are you feeling? And I know you just had a surgery, so I was wondering how you're recovering. So yeah, I. I didn't know if I should bring this up, but yeah, last week I had another stomach ache and I went to the hospital and they're like, we got to take your gallbladder out. And so my fucking stomach, let me tell you, it's just gift that keeps on giving. So it was a year to the day, basically, that I had to have, it's like the third surgery. And uh, it's this weird thing of feeling like I can't trust my body, but at the same time, they remove these things from my bot from me. And then I feel so much better. <laughs> like they took that cancerous growth outside of me. And within three months, I was fucking healthier than I've been in a long time. And I like to ride bikes and I go swimming and I make all this art. That's like, I'm a fucking jock now. Like I can't believe it. So yeah, last week I ended up in the ER again and they're like, yeah, your gallbladder is real angry. And so we're going to remove it. And it was just like, oh, okay, here we go again. This is all unexpected. And so they removed it and the same things were coming up about being this frail body, but also like, oh, I feel better than I did before. And this time I have this boyfriend here, unlike before. And so Robbie stayed at my place and worked from my house all week while I mostly slept, but he slept next. It was great. Having a man 
I hate this. <laughs> I hate it because I'm such an independent person. But having somebody there to help carry the emotional burden of this traumatizing thing has made it so much easier. I feel great. I just went to the doctor this morning and they say things are healing fine. I'm going to go to Europe in three weeks and I might be a slow moving dude, but I'm going to have fun and look at art, which is one of my favorite things to do. And Robbie's coming with me for our first big trip and I'm stupid excited. And so it did this thing that happened before, which is, again, I have no guarantees of how long I'm going to live. Um, it just makes me feel like my body could betray me again at any time. So I, I just want it all. I have zero interest in putting more money in my Roth IRA. Fuck that. Like, let's spend this shit. (laughs) (laughs) So today, while I'm planning my trip to Europe in October, I'm also planning the next trip to France in the spring because somebody wants us to come out and stay in their French villa for a week. Hell yeah. So Hell yeah. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. I am living more in the moment and enjoying what's put in front of me. Robbie is 31 to my 53 and old Steve would have been like, well, that's too young. But what am I waiting for? Uh, Here is the man in front of me, the one who is interested and engaged and keeps showing up in a meaningful way. I feel like I have suffered a lot of nonsense boyfriends to get to one that gives me what I need. Mm -hmm. I can't say deserve. I don't know who deserves a boyfriend, but uh, this is the dude that I have wanted in my life for a very long time. Thank you so much for your time, Stephen. It was really wonderful chatting with you. My pleasure, Bailey. Thanks for asking all the good questions. Fruitball interviews are edited for length and narrative clarity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com, where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Fruitbowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions, a description of the collaborative interview process, and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruitbowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video outtakes from each episode that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. 
Episode sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com/donate or write Dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are often suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate us on your podcast platform, or write a review on Apple Podcast. And, of course, you can also follow us, for now, on Twitter at Fruit Bowl Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Fruit Bowl Podcast. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Rebecca M. Davis. This has been a production of Cubed Media, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening. <laughs>